we have 11 uh, grandkids in our family. And uh, years ago, we, I used to use a spreadsheet to literally make sure everybody got an equal amount of Christmas presents. And we kind of changed it up over the last couple of years. Gets too complicated. Give out, I give, give out cash to uh, the grandkids. And, and uh, my wife, however, she buys at least one or two articles of clothing for, for the grandkids. And she was having a problem with one order for one of our grandchildren. She placed the order. They accepted it. They processed it. They took the money out. But the present never came. And uh, within like a couple of weeks, my wife is getting nervous. Here comes Christmas. And she tries to contact the uh, customer service department where she ordered the, the item and couldn't get through. You know, uh, try to reach a human being this time of the year is, is almost like a miracle uh, with customer service. You have to go through all of the different prompts and all the different information, the order number, the account number, all that stuff like that. Well... She shot off an email, and, and she was very upset that they hadn't responded to her, and they finally did call her back, and it was a human being of sorts <laughs> because uh, of the answer that she gave to my wife. She said that the package is obviously lost by the UPS. She, she threw the UPS under the bus, and uh, she said, so, so since it's, it's lost, you know, we, we just want you to know that it still might come, and so when it comes... Just check the, the, the tracking uh, number, and then you'll know that you have it. And I said, what? what? What did she say? Why would I need the tracking number once the item comes to my house? I don't need that anymore. That, my friend, is what you call missing the point, not seeing the big picture. You know, there's a lot of folks, when it comes to Jesus Christ, who miss the point and who never see the big picture. See, some people are of the opinion that Jesus is a prophet, that he's a prophet among many prophets, but Jesus does not stand with the prophets. He stands apart, separate. He is, in the words of Hebrews chapter 1, God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets, but in this last hour, the ultimate message is God has spoken to us in the language of his son. Jesus is the ultimate. He is what the Bible says, fairer than 10,000, which is another way of just simply saying that he's incomparable to anything or anyone else. Jesus stands alone. And then at his name, there's a day coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. All of the prophets are like the difference between the sun and the moon. The sun is the, is the source of the, of the light, but the moon only reflects it. And all the prophets that have come and gone are simply those that have reflected the light of the glory of God. And so there's a distorted view of Jesus in the minds of some. Some think, well, he's a teacher. He's a moral you know, uh, example of, of how to live and and, and yet they missed the point. And the point is, is that he is Emmanuel, God with us, God among us, revealed in flesh and blood. His name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. This is, this is who Jesus is. And they missed that point to the detriment of their own soul. And that his is the only name whereby men must be saved. You know, the Bible tells us the reason why there is so much uh, 
inability to see the big picture. It's because the God, little g, of this age has blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest they should be saved. So Satan, the God of this age, has, has deceived. In fact, there's a verse of Scripture in one of the Old Testaments that says, is this, is this the one who has deceived the whole world? And he is called the deceiver for that very reason. I am uh, legally blind in my right eye. Not, it's not t- saying that to have anybody feel sorry for me. That's just the way that it is. That's, I, I've been born that, that way. And the doctor once told me, he said, son, y- your eye is perfectly healthy. There's no reason why you can't see. Well, then please, doctor, tell me. Why can't I see? He said, well, the nerve that goes from your eye like a camera to carry the signal to your brain, never, never, it never developed. It, it, it's too weak. And tell you what, worse than physical blindness, and I would, I would hate to have to be you know, blind in both eyes, that would be a tragedy. But even greater tragedy is spiritual blindness. Because spiritual blindness has eternal consequences that no one wants to talk about or imagine. But Jesus came as the, as the ultimate Israelite to a people who did not receive him because he didn't fit the profile of what they expected in a Messiah. Do you know that there are more than 300 specific prophecies concerning his birthplace, his lineage, and, and uh, uh, his ministry, and, and so many other things that only Jesus could fulfill. It's astronomical, the statistical probabilities that, that only Jesus could have been the one to fulfill the promised coming Messiah. I love how the Apostle Paul put it, because it's not a matter of intellect. It's not a matter of education. It's not a matter of reasoning. It is the unveiling of the person of Jesus Christ to the human heart. And, and the, the very first thing that begins to happen to a human being is they begin to realize just how sinful they are. But then the light is now pointed at Jesus Christ, who is a great Savior, yeah, we are sinful, but Jesus is great. I love there's a song that says, that says, our sins are great, but his mercy is greater. His mercy is better. So Paul's graphic imagery of what Jesus Christ has come to do and God sending his son to rescue us from sin and death. Paul uses this allegory, if you will, in uh, Colossians chapter 1 when he talks about he has translated us picked us up, carried us. He's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and has placed us lovingly in the kingdom of, this, of, of, of his love. It really is a picture of Jesus kicking in the gates of hell and rescuing us, pulling us as brands, if you will, right out of the fire, right out of Satan's grip. We have been set free. If you're not a follower of Jesus... I'm so glad that you're here and listening to the gospel today. And if you're watching the stream at home, thank you for tuning in. And, and what I want you to know is this, is that, is that God wants you to see the big picture. He wants you to get the point. But, but not only does God want you to see the big picture, he wants to write you into the big picture. He wants to write you into the story of ransom and, and redemption for in Jesus Christ, the ransom has been paid. 
the justice has been satisfied, the wrath of God has been appeased, and it's only through the one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus, you ought to be, you ought to be ever grateful and ever thankful. I sometimes ask myself, God, why me? Why did you choose me among the millions of people on planet Earth to make known your son and the means of salvation to me? What a, what a privilege that is. What an honor that God has bestowed upon us who believe, whose hearts have been surgically opened by the Holy Spirit and the stony heart has been taken out and God has placed within us a pliable, soft heart toward him. God wants you as a believer to grow in ever-increasing measure of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But not only does God want to reveal his son to you more and more, but he wants to reveal his son in you more and more so that you would be the gospel to be read by all men. We're obviously living in difficult times and in times of uncertainty. You know, this is, this is the age where the Bible foretold that men would call evil good and call good evil. And uh, we're living in that time. We're living in a time when, when all of the institutions around us are filled with corruption and are terribly failing, whether it's social or political or governmental or, I mean, you name it, every institution seemingly is, is failing greatly. However, there's one that is not, that cannot. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one single word of God, not a jot, not a tittle, that is, not the dotting of an I or a crossing of a T, shall fail from the word of God. And you know what? That, that, that generates in me a heart to praise God, a heart to be thankful, to be, to be filled with gratitude for what he has done for me in, in sparing me the ultimate storm that is coming upon all the world. But I, I, I think of Matt Redmond's song. I love that song. It's called 10,000 Reasons. And, and, and he's, what he's talking about is that there are more than 10,000 reasons to ever be praising God, to never cease praising him. But the third verse really is, is meeting me where I am the older I get. And it goes like this. On that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. 10,000 years and then forevermore. 10,000 years. 10,000 years and then forevermore. That is the beginning of seeing the big picture and getting the point. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is sometimes referred to as the synoptic Gospels because of their sequential connectedness in how they tell the story and the details of which they describe in the gospel, they all talk about this one great epic event. It's probably uh, one of the, the greatest moments in human history, uh, and it was called the Mount of Transfiguration. And uh, it, is, it is where Jesus unveiled uh, who his true identity is and, and, and his nature and his intrinsic holiness of who that he is, that he is God come in the flesh. God manifested as Emmanuel. Uh, 
This is so precious. Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John uh, up on this mountain, and they are destined to be the eyewitnesses of his splendor and his majesty. Now, I got to say this. Peter, James, John, uh, all the, really all of the 12, a lot of times didn't get the point. Uh, a lot of times missed the big picture. I'll just give you one example. Uh, on one occasion when they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, uh, Jesus said to them, beware of the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. And they started talking amongst themselves, and they said, it's because we didn't take any bread for the trip. And I tell you what, I don't know if Jesus ever rolled his eyes, but I think he had a right to do so on that occasion. Uh, because these guys were like, sometimes they were like just the Keystone Cops. I do hope they forgive me someday when I meet them. But uh, they didn't get it a lot of times. And on this occasion is one of those occasions that they did not get it. I think that Jesus is so gracious, however. So let's look at Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. It says, after six days, which is the clue to understanding what is taking place. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up to a high mountain by themselves. So there's just Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. They're, they're the inner three. Uh, there was the three, there was the, the 12, there was the, the 70, the 120. But, but this was the inner three that Jesus chose to reveal his splendor. Now, the, the, that phrase right there, the first three words, after six days, is a clue. Well, what happened six days before? What was said three or six days before? Six days before, Jesus said something absolutely astonishing. What he said was that there are some standing here that shall not experience death until they see the kingdom of God coming in power. Okay, so a clue for us is what is being revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration is the kingdom of God as it will be and the kingdom of God that is within Christ. What I find so fascinating about Peter, James, and John, these three that were eyewitnesses of his majesty and his glory is that these are the same three guys that witnessed his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, there's no way that Jesus could write us into his story without the Garden of Gethsemane, without the agony of the cross and the passion of the cross. There's no way. There had to be death followed by the conquering of sin, death, and the grave. Here's his identity. It's, it's, it's all, he he all, has always been from everlasting, co-equal, co-glorious, co-eternal with the Father. And here some of that is now being revealed to Peter, James, and John. Verse 2 says, Then he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. The, the word transfigured there simply means that Jesus was was revealed. He was, he, he, he was changed, though he was not changed intrinsically because what he was intrinsically will always be who he was, but he has now been revealed as to who he truly is. Only his appearance changed. His garments changed. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Uh, this must have not only confused the disciples, it must have frightened them. 
I mean, I could just imagine them rubbing their eyes and saying something like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Jesus is just filled with brilliant light. Even his clothes are, are radiant with light. Verse 3 says, Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Jesus was the one who was radiant. And how they identified Moses and Elijah, how they knew to recognize them is uncertain. And that really is, is not a great point. But what we do know is what they were talking about. Because Luke tells us in the Synoptic Gospel, Luke tells us that they were talking about his decease or his death, which should be accomplished in Jerusalem. It was a known fact that Jesus was ordained before the foundation of the world to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. That means before, before you and I sinned, before Adam sinned, before there was a fall in the garden, Jesus Christ was destined to be the Savior. That profoundly changes the picture for, for many of us when we begin to see that it was out of this immense love for us that he allowed us to fall into sinfulness so that he might reveal his love and redeem us from our lost condition, save us unto the uttermost. Other than that, it's only conjecture as to what they were talking about, but we do know they were talking about what was to be accomplished. And I can just imagine, if, if, if you would, for a moment, uh, Moses and Elijah saying, Messiah, we're all so excited in paradise. See, there was a separation at that point. Those that died in faith went to a place called paradise, Abraham's bosom. You may have read that in the scripture. But they could not be in the very presence of God until sin, the sin of the world, was completely dealt with. And, and they may have said something like, we're all excited. David wanted to come. Abraham wanted to come. Isaiah, who wrote so much about you, he wanted to come. But we were the chosen delegate, delegation to come and to talk to you and encourage you. Jesus, we want, just want you to know that you are our only hope. And we just want to encourage you. In spite of what you are to endure and suffer in Gethsemane and at the cross. Oh, God how we need you. Lord, how we need you. The long-awaiting time had finally come. Freedom was now just days away. This must have been one of the most exciting times in human history. Verse 4 says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. It shows you just how he's missing the point on the basis of what he says. Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you will, let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And not only is Peter putting Moses and Elijah on the same level of Jesus, he's missing the point. They're not being manifested to speak with Jesus, to hang out there, to set up a shrine there. No, no, they're, they're talking about great business, a great mission that was to take place. And, 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 and if you will, in many ways, it was a covert mission. I say covert mission because the Bible says, had the princes of this world known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Concealed was this mystery that would one day be revealed in the preaching of the gospel, but until then, 
until then. It was almost like a, like a, a secret service covert action that was taking place. Mark tells us that Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. <laughs> Have you ever been that way, done that? You don't know what to say, so you say something dumb. And that's what Peter did. And that's what Peter often did, was to say something not so bright. And while Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, encircled them. This bright cloud. This is not a weather cloud. This is not a foggy mist. This is, this is, this is the manifest presence of God. We've, we've seen that cloud in the Old Testament on a number of occasions. One of which I think of is when the, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the Bible says, and the priests and the ministers could not stand for the glory of the Lord. They were overwhelmed. And this is exactly what we're seeing here, is that Peter, James, and John are, are being overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. And it says, and while Peter was speaking, a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. I believe it's Luke who says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Hear him. And this is the, this is the, the word of, of commending that comes from God the Father. Peter, be quiet. This is, this is both identification and vindication. And, and, and what God the Father is saying is that fix your eyes on him. Listen to my son. He's the one, not Moses and Elijah, but rather my son, my beloved son. Verse 6 says, And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. They were frightened before, but now they're absolutely probably shaking in their boots, terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them saying, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I I love that tenderness of Jesus. This is no moment for chiding or correcting or chastising. This is a moment for comforting. Jesus verbally dismissed their fears. And then Jesus did something beyond what he can do verbally. He physically touched them. I don't know about you, but I I often need a touch from God. For God to dismiss my fears, my worries, my concerns. And he often does that. But I love it when he touches us. You know how he touches us? Now he touches us through other human beings who are moving in compassion and moving in in the tenderness that Jesus himself would move in. And that is so important for us. Verse 9 says, And as they were coming down the mountain, his purpose now having been fulfilled or accomplished, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And I want you to spread this around right now until I've been raised from the dead. And I just think that that being raised from the dead, as at other occasions when Jesus said that, just went right over their heads. 
When Jesus spoke about his death, he always spoke about it in the context of his resurrection. By faith, Jesus would be raised again from the dead. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all participated in that glorious resurrection. But this is not the first time that Jesus talked about his death. And in fact, on one occasion, Peter kind of took Jesus to the side to rebuke Jesus and saying, Jesus, what kind of Messiah could you possibly be if you're dead? How could you serve as Messiah? And you know what Jesus said. He said, Satan, get behind me. For you don't care about the things of God, but of men. And Peter at that moment was speaking foolishly words that would probably be emanating from the evil one. Here's how this unveiling of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration helps me, helps us in 2021. He calls us by that same title. By the way, the, the word beloved is not, is not just simply a part of speech. It is a title of designation that the Father has bestowed upon the Son. Beloved. Do you know how many times the New Testament looks at us and says, Beloved. Beloved, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we shall see him, we shall be like him. Beloved, behold what manner of love the Father's lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. What a, what a tremendous honor that God the Father looks at us and calls us beloved. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that we've been highly favored in the Beloved. That title that God reserved for his son, he now reserves for sons and daughters of the living God. And when that happens, and when I, I, I realize that incredible grace that God has bestowed upon me, it makes me want to obey what the Father said from that cloud, from that glory. Listen to him. Fix your eyes on him. Make much of him. Let him become your magnificent obsession. Search for Jesus when you open the word of God, for in them they testify of Jesus. He said, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. In fact, if you could just take the whole word of God and just bring it down into one sentence, it would be the revelation of the Son of God. You know what? Peter ultimately got the point. Because the very last thing that Peter wrote in his second letter, the very last word that we have from Peter is this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growing grace is important, but growing in knowledge is equally important. The more we learn of him, the more we discover of him, the more precious he becomes to us. Next thing that we discover at the unfolding of his majesty and the revealing of who he is, he is very God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the mighty God, but he's also a man. He's very man and he's also very God and, and, and so important to remember that, that the child born in Bethlehem would be called Wonderful the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Yes, he's a man. Yes, he suffered at the hands of wicked men. Yes, he would be scourged and crucified and put to death, but he would rise again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. He is very man, but he's also very God. 
And that is so important for me to know and believe because that is the measure of eternal life. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom God has sent. The next thing that we discover is that knowing this, knowing who Jesus is, sustains me through the darkest hours of my, of my life, through the darkest seasons that I may have to go through. When the doctor says it's not good news, when, when, when the rumors at work are that there may be layoffs, or where your spouse says, you know what, I'm not sure if I want to be married anymore. Remember who Jesus is and who he is to you, that he is a savior. Remember that he has the power, and he is a person who infinitely cares for you. Because we see the big picture, we, we come to know and understand that, that we are unconditionally loved, that there is nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Trusting in Christ in an insecure world is our security, is our security. The next thing that his majesty displays is a reminder that he's coming again in power. That he came the first time as a baby, and he came the first time as the Lamb of God. But the next time he comes, he's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not coming to wave a, a white flag. He's coming to take over and to possess his inheritance so that the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And Psalm chapter 2 will be fulfilled. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations of the earth as your inheritance. He's coming to take over. The deceiver will not have the final word. Jesus has the final word. Seeing all this produces in me a peace that's inexplicable, that passes understanding that no matter what my day may hold, I know who holds me. And therefore, he also holds the day. And he is altogether beautiful and lovely. If you're not a follower of Jesus, he not only can rescue you from the coming storm, but even more than rescuing you from something, he rescues you to someone to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. He will present you before his Father. He said, no man comes to the Father except it be by me. Storytellers love to tell about a great, some great escape, but you know what? The greatest story ever told is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you ever read the end of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis? I, I love the way he kind of sums it up. He says, all the twists and turns, the ups and downs of this life, all of them. He says, it's nothing but the title page. And now begins the, the chapters of the real life, where every chapter is better than the one that came before. That beloved, is good news, which is what the gospel literally means. So what's the point? The point is that Jesus Christ is the only Savior who could have accomplished a mission like this. The God-man could make an end of sin, conquer death, satisfy the wrath of God, and bring us into the family of God. There's only one who could have accomplished peace, and it was through the blood of his cross. 
So what's the big picture? The big picture is that whoever has the Son has everlasting life and shall not come under condemnation. You can't buy that. I don't care if you had all the gold and all the, all the, the gems in all the world, you could not buy no condemnation. But for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. What? This, this is, the gospel is the greatest story ever told. But it's not only the greatest story ever told pointing us to a savior, it's the, it's, the, it's the greatest story ever told that writes us into that story. Men and women who don't deserve to be in there. He writes us in. And he says, redeemed. He says, bought with a price. You're not your own. You belong to me. That is a great story and the greatest of stories. There's no one like Jesus. We, we, we sang that song uh, earlier. Uh, his name is, is above every other name. There's a day coming when every knee shall bow and tongue confess to the glory of God. I told Kelly the other night in a text, I said, I said what, I've, what I've learned about Gethsemane and what I've learned about the cross is that you are to never judge anything before the time. Because the cross in Gethsemane looked like colossal failures, but in reality was their greatest human triumph. And I tried to relate that to what the family was going through right now with Doug. Don't, don't be discouraged, for God is writing a great story of the miraculous on behalf of the Jansen families. Amen? Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust in Christ and would like to do so, I would love to give you that invitation. And you could just kind of pray along with me something like this. Jesus, come into my life. Be the Savior of my life. Come, forgive me of my sins. I accept and receive you as Lord and as Savior. I trust that you are the Son of God who the Bible says you are. And that it's through your name that I have life and have it more abundantly. And so we pray now, Lord, that you would receive those that are praying, whether they're at home or whether they're here in the building, that you would fill them now with the Holy Spirit as they ask the Holy Spirit just to come into their hearts. And we all sit together. Amen. Amen.